What's up, everyone? I hope you are doing fantastically well today on Tuesday, March 30th. This is Rafael Garcia here with Shawan Hughes for episode 199 of the MMA Ratings Let's Talk. Oh, excuse me, MMA Ratings Podcast. I almost messed that up. But I'm not going to mess up anymore tonight. Put it on the board. Shawan, how you doing, sir? I can't complain, man. Like I was saying earlier, busy day, but busy's good. I, I don't like to have too much downtime, just get into trouble. So I like to keep moving. Now, there's, not, there's never a thing called bad trouble, Shawan. I don't know about you, but to me, there is. <laughs> you're down in Texas where everything's open. Y'all are running wild in, in the streets, so you can do whatever you want, man. I'm still locked down here. The, the weirdest thing about being in Texas is you see some, you see half people with masks on, then you have other people just walk around without masks on. So it's like you don't even know what's going on. It's complete anarchy. One, you just you just don't know what's going on. You just see people, groups, masks. See a group of half people, half masks, half no mask. It's just it's just nuts, dude. Like there's no consistency at all. Have you started eating like in public and stuff like that? Uh, I never really, I mean, a lot of places weren't open, but I like, I've been out, been to restaurants and they still have them spaced out. A lot of places still require masks. Some places don't anymore because people refuse to wear them and they can't afford to lose a business. So I've been out a little bit, but, um, most of the time, the only time I'm out is if I'm training a kid or something. And, uh, after that, I'm pretty much in for the day. Did you watch that, uh, the basketball game last night, the women's Baylor game? Oh yeah, that was great. Yeah. I, I like watch. I've. I'm one of the people who actually, like, everybody says support women's basketball, but 90% of the people who say that don't actually watch women's basketball. So I'm actually somebody who watches girls, college, high school, middle school, and professional. I don't just get on Twitter and complain about their lack of pay or lack of opportunities. So uh, I can't stand those people, to be quite honest. But, yeah, I was, I've was i been watching the girls a lot. Um, big, I'm a big Caitlin Clark fan, big Paige Beckers fan. Um I like Baylor. I like UT, uh, even though I don't think they won. I don't think they're winning right now. They might be losing, but they might have lost tonight. I didn't get a chance. I was out training somebody, but uh, I, I like the girls' game. I like, I'm a big fan of it. I'm hoping next year it's going to be Azzy Fudd and the Paige Beckers, and if they don't win it this year, I, I fully expect them to close it out next year. So the, uh, the game you said you saw the game last night was that a foul at the end or, or not? It was a foul, but they're complaining about the foul. First of all, that was a terrible play they ran out. That was a terrible play for last second play. And second of all, how are you complaining about a foul when you had a 19, you gave up a 19 to 0 run? If you just score two points, the the game doesn't come down to that. But they went 19 and 0. 19 point run to zero. I don't want to hear about fouls. You can you can tell somebody else about that. I don't care about that. It's like my kid telling me, well, I had 30 points. You missed 10 free throws. You should have had 40. Don't talk to me about that nonsense. Well, I mean, you're right about that because that that 19-0 run, if you get one free throw during that stretch, the game's at least tied. If you get one, two, one, yeah, exactly. Or just make a stop, make two stops, and you still win the game. You don't have to overtime nothing. It's don't 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 point to the one small. It's like when they blame the kicker. Well, he missed a 30 30 yard field goal. You let a team come back from 28 to zero in one quarter. Don't tell me about the kicker. I don't want to hear about that. True, true. Well, we're talking about people getting kicked, and we got quite a bit to talk about tonight, and we're going to jump right into it, starting off with the heavyweight fight from this past Saturday, 
where Francis Ngannou became the UFC heavyweight champion, defeating Stipe Miocic, stopping him in the second round via TKO. Swan, what did you see from a stylistic standpoint that really helped Ngannou get this win? The biggest thing for Ngannou was that unlike the first fight, he didn't come charging in looking for the knockout. I believe if Ngannou would have sat back and been more of an aggressive counterpuncher in the first fight, he could have possibly won. He could have he he could have possibly won, but at least it would have been more competitive as far as how the rounds went. And the first fight, he came in there bombing, swinging hard, trying to pressure Stipe, and Stipe was just ducking under his shots, taking him down or jabbing him in between his shots, and then taking him down. Basically, he was just walking into takedowns and wasting energy, throwing himself out of position, swinging wild shots. And that's not who he is. He's not a he's not a go get you type fighter. He's a aggressive counter puncher. He'll stalk you. He'll and out of pressure, you feel the pressure, you try to throw something, and then he'll just fire off at the same time, or he'll take it and fire off, or he'll slip something and fire off. His best knockouts come off of, his best looking knockouts and his most efficient knockouts come off of counters. Um, he went back to his actual counter style. People are going to say he led it there, but when I'm talking about counter, you don't just counter a strike from an opponent. If you can counter their footwork, you can counter their strikes, you can counter their positioning. There's different things you can do that set you off to give you a trigger to say that there's an opening there. And this time, instead of just running face first into Stipe, he, uh, he countered him. And um, that, that's basically it. Uh, Stipe didn't use a jab. If Stipe, which is, which is funny because the thing that saved Stipe last time was the jab and his movement. But Stipe was kind of moving in straight lines, and Stipe didn't use a jab. So if Francis would have came in there just swinging away again, there's a good chance he would have caught Stipe anyways because Stipe didn't put anything in between him and Francis to keep him safe. And, and that's ultimately what cost him. He didn't set up his strikes very well. He wasn't in position. And he was, he just was, he was just being too aggressive. Walking, he was basically walking into traps. Francis Ngannou was setting traps for Stipe, and Stipe was walking into him. On that last exchange, they got the knockout. Stipe landed a good right hand, but he was off balance. So instead of resettling himself and either faking high with a jab and then shooting or coming in behind a jab, he was off balance. He resettled. He got his balance back. And then he ran forward with his hands down right into a counter, right into that shot, dropped him. The fight was essentially over from there. So the biggest difference, people can tell me about the technique, the little half step back. That's good. That's great. The, the multi-layered combinations, that's good. That's great. But ultimately what it what came down to was Francis Ngannou fought with poise and fought with discipline and was an aggressive counterpuncher, not barreling head first, sticking his face in there, throwing bombs looking for a knockout in the first 30 seconds. How he approached the fight is just as important, if not more so important, than the actual techniques he used to win it. Did you see Stipe's uh, post on Instagram? We actually talked about that, where he mentioned he landed that his right hand that he saw hurt Ngannou, and he stepped right into that left. Did you see that note that he posted? I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Um, this is the first I've heard about it. I, I'd imagine that Steve is a smart guy. I mean, he was getting beat. The, he was getting beat the fuck up in the fight. But that's basically what ended the fight. And me, you can if you watch watch the second round. I don't even have to tell somebody what to. I just mention it. If you watch the fight, you'll just see it. He hits him. He was off balance, and he saw that he was hurt, so he rushed in. And it's cool. You can rush in, but if you would have rushed in behind a jab. And Ganu couldn't have got that clean counter off, or if he would have faked high and then gone low, at least he would have shot and he might have most likely takes him down. And the worst case scenario gets sprawled and get back to his feet, but he doesn't walk, he doesn't run face first into a full power counter. 
That was his mistake. He got greedy. He got greedy and he didn't set the table for the for the meal. That's why he got roasted. It's 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 not a dynamic technical mistake. It's a basic fundamental mistake. The fundamental mistakes are what's going to kill you in any sport, combat sports, basketball, baseball, football. It's fundamental mistakes that eventually cost you games, cost you fights. He made a simple fundamental mistake running in, hands down, didn't set up his, his forward pressure and paid the price for it. So I don't think to happen at all, but if there was a immediate third fight between these two men, how do you think it would be different? I don't think it would be, to be honest, at this point. I told people before, I thought Stipe, Stipe's been through a lot of wars in his career. There's been a lot of back and forth fights, the Junior DeSantos fight, the, the three DC fights, he took tremendous punishment. This fight, he took tremendous punishment. Um, I think he had some other fights earlier in his career where it was just a lot of back and forth, brawls and exchanging and, and five round exhausting fights. He's what, 38, 37, something like that right now? He's He's coming to the end of his athletic peak, for one. Two, he's been fighting for a very long time at heavyweight where, you know, you can hang on for extended periods of time, but you're not because the division's so thin. But it's very obvious when a guy's not at his athletic peak. And like I said before, he's just taking so much punishment. So much punishment. I'm not saying that he, there's a lot of things he could do better in this fight. There's a lot of things he could do. He could set his strikes up better. He'd be more prepared for a technical in Ganu. He probably wouldn't rush in as much. But the fact of the matter is, Stipe doesn't take punishment as well as he used to, in my opinion. He's not as athletic. He's never the greatest athlete, and he, he's lost his stuff from there. And Stipe's always had a problem with guys who are fast, with dynamic dynamic athleticism. Uh, DC was a faded, broken-down DC. And even in that third fight, he was still hitting Stipe anytime he wanted to. He was landing at will. He just couldn't get the kill shots together. Stipe started touching the body, started using his range. DC doesn't have enough technical depth to answer that with anything but aggression. But in three fights in a row, he got hit at will by DC, who is one of the worst technical strikers in the history of mixed martial arts. He is awful. Strategically, he's aware. Technically, he's terrible. And he was landing on Stevie left and right. Um, Stevie can fight a better fight. He can fight a perfect fight. I've seen him do it. I don't know that he has the cardio anymore to be on his toes for five rounds and slip and counter and move. I don't know that he has the cardio to chase takedowns and maintain them when he gets down down there. I don't know that he has the horsepower to dictate where a fight goes anymore. I still think he can hurt Nganu. I still think he has moments he can get to Nganu. But we've seen Stipe land clean and hard on Nganu, and Nganu's been able to take it. Every time Nganu was landing clean and hard on Stipe, Stipe was taking steps back or getting dropped, picking himself off the floor. That's a big difference. That means Nganu can make – five to seven mistakes, and Stipe might be able to make one to two. It's hard to fight five rounds against an elite athlete who's bigger, stronger, fresher than you and only make one or two mistakes. One or two makes mistakes a round, much less one or two mistakes a fight. Mangano can make five or seven mistakes a fight a round. At best, Stipe can maybe make one or two major mistakes in a fight, and that's it for him. So it could be more competitive. I don't know that at this stage Stipe has the durability or conditioning to – fight the kind of fight he needs to beat Nganu at his best. Nganu's still flawed. I think Jones has a chance to beat Nganu. I think Stipe still has. I just don't think Stipe has as big a chance as ever. I think that first fight was the fight. And from this point on, it's only going to get harder because now Nganu's got the confidence, and now he's he's actually beaten him and beaten him decisively. So now you got to put another fight and win together against a guy 
who pretty much outclassed you on every front and every level. Only thing Ngannou didn't do was take Stipe down in this fight. So you said that you think Ground Jones would, would beat Ngannou. We're going to come back to that. But between Jones and Derek Lewis, how confident are you that this next fight would be against Jones? I mean, Dana White's going to pull the card and he's going to try and get the fighters to pick on Jones because Jones wants money. And Jones, Jones, um, Jones should get paid. He's been one of the longest reigning champions. He never lost his belt except by stuff he did outside the cage. I mean, you can say he had some disputed wins, but the fact of the matter is they're disputed wins. Whether you think he lost them or not, they, they were disputed wins. And uh, I don't know how long his, long, his, his win streak has been on, but he's beaten everybody in the division. He's beaten all-time greats early in his career, middle of his career, late in his career. He, he deserves money. And he's actually a pay-per-view draw to a certain extent. He's no Conor McGregor, but he, he's in that second, second tier of draws in the uh, sport. So it should be likely. The UFC says they give us the fights we want, and they should just pay this dude and, and cash out on a huge, huge pay-per-view. And if Jones beats him, there'll be a rematch, which would be another huge fight. If Ngannou beats Jones, depending on how the fight goes, you might have another rematch, and then you'll make a lot of money. But this is the only money fight there. Derek Lewis versus Ngannou isn't, isn't a money fight. I'm not saying it won't make money, but it's not a money fight. Ngannou versus Stipe isn't a money fight. Um, Ngannou versus Jones, that, that's the ticket. That's the money fight. That's the fight that, that draws in fans, that draws in casuals, that draws in everybody. Can Jones take the power? Um, how is Ngannou going to win if he doesn't knock Jones out? It, that's a, that's the fight. But once again, Dana White is um, elite levels of petty, which means we might not get it. So let's say they do make that fight, because I was thinking about this earlier, um, and I was doing some back of the napkin math. How many buys do you think that fight would be between Jones and Ngannou? I would say it would be 1.5 to 2 million, but how many buys do you think that fight would be? I don't know about that. I'm, I'm saying if they did between 750 and a million, I think it, it'd be considered a, it. I, well, it depends. I haven't seen the buys from this, this week's event. I don't know how big it was, but I'd say between 750 and, and about 1.2 would be probably around eight Eight something nine. That's what I'm thinking. It could get into millions, but I, Jones never done a million. I don't know what Ngannou's numbers are as far as far as being a pay per view lead. So I'd say between eight eight hundred thousand and nine hundred thousand would be an excess. I mean, seven hundred fifty thousand would be a pretty good success for two guys who, who are rather unproven as pay per view draws past around five hundred thousand. As far as Jones, Jones is like a five hundred thousand, five hundred and fifty, or maybe maybe even six hundred thousand type guy if he has the right guy across him. So if he gets to seven fifty. To nine hundred, it's a it's a booming success. I mean, half a million is still a it's still actually a pretty good draw for anybody in the UFC. Not named Conor McGregor or Ronda Rousey. So let's say it was a stall out at seven fifty. <clears throat> Sixty million dollars of revenue for that one um, in pay per view buys. It doesn't include the gate, so you know they're gonna have something. They're gonna have fans in attendance. It doesn't include like sponsorship and stuff like that. How much money do you think Ngannou and Jones should be paid for a fight of that stature? I don't know if Jones – it's weird for me because a lot of boxers get paid money, and the logic is the boxers deserve it. But outside of, like, Floyd Mayweather and Canelo and, and guys of that nature, I don't know that anybody is a draw where they should be getting their 
10 and 20 million dollars like a lot of boxers shouldn't be getting that kind of money they don't they don't generate that kind of interest um i don't think he should get maybe i mean i don't know how much deontay wilder gets paid um i know he shouldn't be getting paid with canelo gets paid like uh, 10 and 12 million i don't know about all that I, I don't know what his regular paycheck is i would say if he gets i mean engano's going to get points off it um i'm guessing no more, no less than about four, probably around if the at the peak of it, somewhere around seven to nine max. I, I'm think I, I don't know who should get what, but I I don't think anybody should get less than about four four million dollars. I'm thinking I, even on the low end, seven hundred fifty thousand for the UFC is a lot of buys. That's a lot of buys for them. That's still that's still in their top ten. Outside, you take out Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey, that's top five in buys. Because very few guys do over that kind of number. They get to the 900,000, even if you put Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey in that, that's still in the top 10. So either way, you're talking about a top, lower top 10, or without Ronda and Conor, you know, pretty much a top five through seven um, pay-per-view. And that's just in America. That's not counting the money they already get paid from ESPN for being on ESPN. So they're making money hand over fist in this one. So they can afford to pay the guys like four million a piece, or if, like yeah, I'd say four million a piece minimum. Okay, all right, okay. So before we move on from this heavyweight title fight, what do you think is next for uh, Stipe? You think he's done? Um, well, he's saying he wants exciting fights. He wants money fights. I guess fighting in Ghana is, is somewhat of a money fight to him. But if he loses, then he's all the way back to the line. And the UFC is not going to protect him because he gets paid too much money to get protected. He gets paid too much money to protect, get protected. And to be quite honest, I don't, I don't know who's exciting to see him fight against now. I mean, like, he's a great fighter. I enjoy watching him fight as an as a analyst and as a fan. I don't know that he's necessarily a super exciting fighter. And I don't know who, who you put him up against that's going to generate real interest. You put him against John Jones, that generates interest. But if he loses to Ngannou again, he sure as hell ain't getting Jones. I mean, if Jones beats Ngannou clearly, then he might get a shot at him. But he'd probably have to have at least one other fight. So he'd have to fight somebody like a Derek Lewis or something. And those fights don't seem to interest him. That's the biggest problem. I don't think those fights interest him. And I don't think he I think he has a hard time getting up for certain kinds of fights. And um, if that's the case, there's a good chance he'll, he'll lose as much as a good chance that he'll win. So then you have that whole issue. I think he's closer to retirement than anything else. He's been talking more about fighting, being a boxer, than he has about actually being an MMA fighter, which which might be all that we need to know as far as where his mind's at. True that, true that. Um, I think he's going to come back from that for uh, too much longer, in my opinion. I think his time is slowly coming, but you never know what heavyweights, man. They, I mean, think, think about his eye, too, how much damage he had to his eye in that DC fight. Yeah, and yeah. I, I was pretty much up on Saturday too. I, I don't I don't know that I don't know that any amount of money, especially the money that UFC is paying, I don't know if it's worth that, man. If you if you're making three and four million dollars a fight, I don't know that that's worth it. For a couple hundred thousand, three, I don't care if it's four, I don't care if it's half a million. I don't know if that kind of damage is worth risking. Very true, sir. Very true. Um I don't want to fight from this card. I wanted to talk about Vicente Luque stopping Tyron Woodley. Do you think Woodley's done? Is he just done with the UFC or is he done fighting on a whole? 
Woodley still has enough athleticism that he can be effective. The problem is his whole style is built on him being at peak, peak, peak as an athlete and because that's the issue. It's not the issue that he forgot how to fight. The issue is that he's gotten so used to backing himself up, waiting for a guy to lead, and then countering, not countering off of technique and awareness, countering off of athleticism. That's the difference. He could fire the shots off so much quicker, so much more fluidly, and they would land with snap and aggression. He didn't have to really search for him. He didn't really have to set him up very well. He backed to the corner, let guys come in. They took a step forward. He fired. They, they threw a jab. He came over the top of it. They tried to grapple. He defended. He fired off. It just That's what separated him. He's lost a step. So now fighting off the back foot is hard for him because he's not good at it. He doesn't fight off the back foot. He backs himself into a corner knowing that most people come in on a straight line and he can just counter them. Now he can't land those counters. And even when he lands them, it's only intermittently. So even if he's able to hit a guy, it's not, not landing that cleanly. And that guy's landing four, four or five punches to every one Woodley lands. And then since Woodley doesn't have that reflex, he gets gun shy and he won't pull the trigger. Against Luke, we saw him be aggressive. But the fact of the matter is he doesn't know how to go forward consistently. Imagine if he would have come forward behind a jab. Imagine if he would have been kicking the legs and throwing body head combinations instead of just bombing away with right hands. It's like the aggression works. It'll catch somebody off guard. But if you don't completely completely overwhelm them when you're caught off guard, eventually they're going to adjust and they're going to start taking advantage of the holes in your approach. The initial swinging caught Luke off, off guard because Luke is a terrible defensive fighter and he's not that great of an offensive fighter. So he just kept getting hit. But as he got more comfortable with Tyrone's, Tyrone's timing and the shots that he was throwing, he could find the spaces in between Tyrone's shots to counter. And that's what happened. He countered him, hurt Tyrone back. Tyrone hurt him. He hurt him again. Tyrone went down and the fight was essentially over from there because Tyrone hasn't developed a game built on pressuring and built on aggression. So he doesn't have, he doesn't know how to layer it. He doesn't come behind a jab, jab up, jab low. He doesn't fake and then walk you into the right hand. He doesn't d duck under your shot, go to the body, go to the head, go to the body, go to the head. He just spam in right hands. It was predictable. And unless, unless you're just a fighter who can't take punishment or you're just an idiot, at some point you're going to figure that out and you're going to be able to fire back. And that's all Luke did. Luke didn't do anything of note. He didn't do anything super technical except fire back because the guy was predictably throwing the same one or two shots over and over again. Can Tyrone compete against lower class welterweights? Sure, he hasn't beat, he hasn't lost to a guy who's just trash. Luke is not great technically, but he's big, strong, he's physical, he hits hard, he's competent as a striker, competent as a grappler. He lost to Usman. Usman's the champion now and the dominant one. He lost to Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns was the closest to finishing Usman out of everybody. He lost to Colby Covington. Colby Covington's a former interim champ and a top three, top three welterweight. I mean, he ain't losing to bums. He hasn't lost to a bum yet. He hasn't lost to like, I don't know, like welterweight Anthony Pettis. He hasn't lost to that kind of guy. And I still don't think he will. He's still got enough athleticism and enough power to hurt those kind of guys. And those guys aren't technically well-rounded enough and at the good enough athletes to overwhelm him. But against the cream, the cream of the crop, he he's just going to get beat up time and time again. He doesn't have the depth of skill to make up for his lack of athleticism anymore. And they're trying to make him more aggressive, but it's real hard to learn how to come forward and do so in a technical manner when you're not used to throwing more than five punches around. And every time you throw a punch, you expect the guy to be knocked out or at least crumped, dropped or hurt by it. He, he doesn't have the skills to go forward. That takes time to develop. And I don't know that he can develop it in the UFC facing top five, top seven type guys over and over. So I was actually having some interesting thoughts about Willick. I think his time in the UFC is done. However, 
Um, what I wonder is if he's going to be doing something else, such as celebrity boxing. And you see that popping up and you see that becoming more popular. We're going to talk about that in a moment later on in the show. Is that something you can see for him in the, in the future instead of going over to Bellator or something along those lines? It's, he's got a name, and it seems like that's what a lot of guys are doing when they're no longer allowed to compete with the UFC, the way to make money. I'll maximize my name. But the thing about it is Tyron's never been super popular. So I don't know how much of a draw. I guess he's hated, so maybe some pe- people will tune in to see him get beat up or, or you know, hate on him. But I don't know. I don't know what what, what kind of draw he is. Anderson Silva has been a draw. I know he's going to fight, but he's fighting a good guy who's also a draw. Conor McGregor is a draw. Ben Askren, to a degree, is a draw because people, a certain segment of right wing people who love him, other people just hate him. But he 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 draws a certain amount of attention because of who he is in the cage and outside of it. I don't know that Tyrone Woodley draws that, but he is a name. So you could put him in a celebrity boxing, and if you put him up against, I don't I don't know how bad a boxer would have to be to get beat by Tyrone Woodley. Who, who hasn't shown much boxing in MMA, much less in a, in a purely boxing situation. Um, but it'd be an avenue for him. It'd be an avenue for him. I, I can't say it's an avenue that doesn't exist. It's a viable avenue. He could he could give it a shot. It's a lot less work. And, um, I mean, what, what's the worst case scenario? He'll just get beat up, and he should he should make more money. He should make more moment, more money, and if he wins, then he'll get some he'll get some momentum behind his name. He'll get some popularity. But, um, yeah, I don't know the Bellator would take him at this point. Uh, maybe, maybe boxing is an option for him. Like I said, I, I just don't know that he's shown anything that says that you would want to watch him, and I don't know that he's a big enough draw that would make it worth a while of guys to pay him to stay on. And I don't, I don't think they would want to pay him. I don't depend the money he wants. I don't know that he, de- he he's worth the money he's demanding right now. And side note, um, Vincente Luque won that fight. It was impressive. It was great. But dude, Woodley hasn't had anybody in that much trouble in like two two years and the fact that he came and almost had you out on your feet early that's not a good sign for how good a fighter that Vicente is I said it before until he learned if he can't master the subtleties of the game then we've already seen the best of him and he ain't going too much farther as a contender he's just he's just too easy to hit he's just too easy to hit and he's too simplistic in his approach I mean Tyron Woodley hasn't had anybody in danger in literally two years and four and like three four fights he hasn't had anybody in, in real danger and the first guy who gets rocked is supposed to be a guy who's moved up in the division who's a potential title challenger. Based off that performance, no, nah, I don't buy that. Yeah, he definitely popped him early in that fight. Um, is there anything else in this card that stands out to you? Um, just two more things. One, uh, Sean O'Malley got another devastating knockout, but I'm, I'm about tired of seeing him, people praise him for being such a dynamic striker when he's knocking out guys who don't have chins anymore. Thomas Lameda never had a great chin. He's been knocked out multiple, multiple, multiple times in his comeback and before he got left the UFC. Sean O'Malley knocking him out, yeah, it looks really good. That's not impressive. Who hasn't knocked out Thomas Lameda? Who hasn't hurt him with strikes? That's easy. Knocking out Eddie Wineland, that didn't improve anything. That it, Eddie Wineland's chin has been gone. Every time he faces a guy who he can't bowl over or a guy who can match him in some kind of physical aspect and can handle what he has, he doesn't look dynamic. It's Terry and Ware. It was a back and forth fight. He was gassing and he just gutted it out against uh, Sukmanta. It was a back and forth fight, and Sukmanta just made a strategic mistake of when he was hurt. Instead of making him stand up, was trying to grapple with him for some reason. That was just poor IQ. But once again, it was a back and forth fight. And against Vera, as soon as the fight got tough and he couldn't put that guy, he couldn't put that guy away. Or couldn't scare him off with his power. 
I don't want to say he quit because he's a fighter and I'm not, and that's I'm not allowed to say that according to the rules of what fighters say. But he essentially stopped trying to win that fight once it got tough. So against the best guys he's faced, as far as guys with skill and guys with grit, he has looked decent or good, but very vulnerable, very limited. And against the best guy he's faced, most durable guy, best athlete, best fighter he faced, he has he lost. So everybody's gonna tell me he's back. Back off what? When did when did knocking out Thomas Lameda mean anything? He's been knocked out so many times. Knocking out a, a worn down Eddie Wineland is that that would count for being knocked out of the night, knock out of the year type stuff? It's not a knock out of the night or knock out of the year if you're knocking out somebody who's known for being knocked out. It's like somebody saying, "Oh, I had a dynamic knockout over Frank Mir." Who hasn't? No offense to Frank Mir, great fighter, but who hasn't had a dynamic knockout win over Frank Mir? The list is a very long one. Yeah, Sean O'Malley's character that I don't really want to talk about too much because of the other stuff around him, but he is being set up for a very strong run because I see the UFC protecting him kind of the way they did Conor McGregor early in, in it, his tenure. It's worse than Conor. Conor actually was beating live guys. He, yeah, he beat Max Holloway when he was young, but Max Holloway was still a tough, good fighter. The guys that, the guys that put it like this, the guys that Conor McGregor beat went to have multiple wins and competitive fights in titles or close to it. Chad Mendez did. Dennis Seaver was still a, a viable fighter after Conor McGregor fought him. Max Holloway became one of the greatest of all time after Conor McGregor fought him. Um, Eddie Alvarez still came back, and he's had good fights, and maybe not in the UFC, but outside of the UFC. He's, he hasn't just totally declined. Dustin Poirier got better after Conor McGregor fought him. Who has Sean O'Malley beat who's gone on to prove that they were – better than their ranking was when they fought him. Taron Ware isn't in the UFC anymore. Eddie Wineland's been getting knocked out left and right. He hasn't had a win. Who else? Thomas Almeida? Let's see how he does the next two fights. It's not going to be wins. The only guy who's who's competed well after he fought O'Malley is the guy who beat him. That's the only guy. All the other guys O'Malley's beat in the UFC, what have they done since then? Not too much. Not too much. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about this weekend's card that just got hit the major shift. Um, Darren Till is out of the Marvin Vittori fight due to a broken collarbone. Uh, Schwann, who do you think should take the place? I've seen the name Kevin Holland bounce around, and I do not want to see that. I don't necessarily want to see Kevin Holland's. I mean, Derek Brunson beat him. Why didn't Derek Brunson take the fight? It'd be one more fight. That's three fights in a row. He'd have an argument to be in the title talks now. After Adesanya, after Adesanya, if Adesanya fights Robert Whitaker, he could he could essentially jump, catapult himself into title contention with one more win. So you would think Derek Brunson would be jumping all over this instead of Kevin Holland. But if Kevin Holland's the only one who's willing to put his record on the line, the only one who really wants it is going to want to campaign for it, he's going to be the one to get it. But you would think Derek Brunson would want to be like, that'd be like, what, two, three? Would it be three, two? It would be three wins in a row or would it be four wins in a row? Either way, it'd be a huge hot streak over multiple different styles of fighters, multiple different levels of athlete, and multiple different uh, rankings of fighters. And he, it'd be hard to say that he isn't worthy of, an, of a potential title fight moving forward. So... Um, I think I would think Brunson would jump on it. I would think Chris Weidman would think about it because he needs to win. Um, 
I would think that Kevin Holland doesn't bother me that he wants to be on it because that's just the kind of guy he is. Whether you think he's a great fighter or not, he's he's a guy who'll take on challenges. But you would think it'd be at least Derek Brunson. He's he's got a streak going. He's real close to uh, crossing that line, and I think that will be all it takes to put him over the over the hump as far as being a legitimate contender. Uh, and as far as the Daniel, Daniel Darren Till being hurt, it sucks. I, I don't want him to be hurt. I get that. Actually, why doesn't Uriah Hall take the fight? Is he not ready? He could use another big win. That would help his case too. But um, back to Darren Till, I don't wish injury on anybody, but I don't see what the UFC's obsession with him. He's a good-looking guy. He's got a kind of a personality. He's not very exciting as a fighter. And to be quite honest, he's not very dominant either. Like I don't understand how he keeps just falling into these opportunities where it's like a, a contender's fight and everybody keeps calling for him to fight him. Like Based off of what? Why? Yeah, I think yeah. Mark Story is the next is the next viable challenger for Adesanya, especially if he had a good bout against Till. You know, he had that split decision win or loss to Adesanya a couple of years ago, and seeing how fighting a wrestler is going to be the narrative against Adesanya going forward. Um, so I see why that situation was why it's being booked in that manner. And when eighty five is not as deep as it used to be. It really isn't anymore, if we're being honest about that um, division. Yeah, that's why you would think so many guys would be jumping. Anybody with the win streak would be trying to jump on because one more win and you're you're a legitimate title contender. So what else from this card stands out? I want to see the Arnold, Arnold Allen and Sadiq Youssef fight. That, that fight really caught my eye. Um, yeah, I mean... A lot of it doesn't. A lot of the reason I don't, I have a problem with some of these, these, these cards is just because I don't know, I don't know what the direction is of these fights. I don't. It's like somebody wins or somebody loses. You want fights that are gonna shake up the division and move directions. And some of these fights don't do anything other than they don't do much more than kind of move up the bottom of the division, like outside of the top ten. And while that's super important, it's like it, it's super important because you got to get these guys up. You would think they'd find a way to get more ranked people in to kind of get draw the fans' interest because you know that this guy could be contending for a title. So you want to keep a close eye on this guy. These guys are like another two or three fights before being even remotely considered for actual uh, being in you know top ten, top five through seven, which is where all the focus and all the money really comes at. A fight I'm interested in is the Nina Ansarov fight versus Mackenzie Dern. That's very interesting to me. Who do you think was that? I want to say Mackenzie Dern because the fact of the matter is, even though she hasn't been great, she showed some improvement as far as her poise and her patience and her discipline and, and applying her strikes. And it's, I mean, her wrestling's still pretty tough, awful. Her grappling's still top notch. She's still a high end athlete, but she seems a little bit more better set up with her striking. Ansaroff, if Ansaroff was active, I'd say Ansaroff was going to win this fight going away. She's as good an athlete. She's a decent defensive and counter wrestler, as she showed against against Tatiana Suarez. She's got good size. She's got good power. She's a very good striker. She's a good overall fighter with pretty good IQ. And Mackenzie Dern has never had that. I'd probably even favor Nina Ansaroff. It's just she hasn't fought in, like, what, a year, two years almost? And that's a long time to be out. Um, Mackenzie Dern is a good out athlete opponent to come back again because even though she's a great athlete and she's a great grappler, the fact of the matter is her fighting still is in sections 
striking, wrestling, grappling, excuse me, grappling, wrestling, instead of actually being all together where you flow from striking to wrestling, wrestling to striking, striking to grappling, grappling to wrestling, wrestling to grappling, grappling to striking. She can't flow between ranges still. She's had a hard time doing that. She's gotten a little bit better, but she hasn't really mastered that. And Nina Ansaroff is much better at it. So on paper, I'd say Ansaroff will win just because I think she's a better fighter with a better overall skill set and probably better training partners. But it's very hard to excuse somebody being out for two years, especially after having a kid and and not knowing, you know, I mean, not knowing exactly how they'll respond to their first live action in a and essentially, like I said, essentially two years. And her last fight was a loss, but it was against a better class of opponent. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna favor answer out because I think she's got the better skill and better IQ, and I don't want to go against that. But once again, that's a real risky pick for me because she hasn't fought in two years, and we have no idea how she's gonna respond when she's put in adverse situations. Good stuff there, sir. Good stuff. Um, I didn't want to stay on this card too, too long because it doesn't look like there's a lot that stands out to me. But it, it looks like a very solid card when they return to ABC this weekend. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to talk about from this um, from that night? You got Mike Perry returning, and you know no one wants to see him do his thing. Was there anything else that you saw that kind of hopped out to you? I think they're having the last featherweight fight. Oh, wait, no, this is going to be a Bantamweight. I thought they were going to be – nope. Yep, she's moving to Bantamweight. I guess featherweight really is done because these two girls fighting should probably be featherweights, but they're instead going to have them fighting at a Bantamweight. Uh, the only thing I have that last add is um, the fight with Jim Miller. It's not so much about the fight. It's about how Jim Miller's fight got pushed back, and they only paid him like a really small percentage of his purse. And it's just something to remind you, once again, I keep telling fighters, stop, stop doing billionaires' favors. Because Jim Miller has been a company guy, shows up, fights whoever. They switch cards. He still fights whoever. They give him these matchups that aren't good matchups for him while other guys get favorable matchups. And he's always competed and kept competing and giving, putting his best foot forward. So then you think a fight gets canceled. If anybody's going to get their full money, at least their full show money, it's going to be Jim Miller. No, not even Jim Miller. So these younger fighters need to pay close attention when they're taking pay cuts, when they're taking short-notice fights when they're not completely healed and they're not completely ready and taking on fights because at the end of the day, the UFC and people running it, keep it to a bottom line. Are you getting this done? Are you meeting our expectations? Are you worth your money? And if you're not, they're going to cut you. Don't think that just because you showed up and you saved the card by taking a fight and all that nonsense, that's not true. If it wasn't you, they'd find somebody else. And if not, they just cancel the whole card. They've done it before. They'll do it again. You need to look out for your own well-being we've seen what guys who really bled and lived and died for this sport have done and they haven't reached any they have they haven't reached any real benefit when the time came for the UFC to step up and go above and beyond for them when they did their job and somebody else didn't or something came up the UFC has not done it Jim Miller should have been paid his full show money and he was given a very small percentage of it and they'll do that to a guy who's been that active and holds so many records as far as fights and and the certain amount of wins and certain way he's won and they'll treat him like that a guy who took on anybody at a moment's notice, how the hell are they gonna how the hell are they gonna treat you when you go on a on a losing streak? Or you you lose your fastball and you're not as dominant as you used to be, or the fans aren't on your side anymore. They're gonna treat you even worse. So make sure that you've covered your bases and you're ready to compete, not just in the cage, but when you're making your contracts or when you're accepting contracts from them instead of going to other places that may pay you more to be there. Yeah, he's been around for a very long time. Like he is the consummate. Um, how, many, how many fight of the nights has he given these guys? That's a great. That's a great question. 
He's I mean, he's given tons of fights tonight. He's been in the UFC since what, 2010, 2009? Let me let me see. 2000, the UFC first one was in. He was there. He's been in the UFC like god dang forever, dude. He's been there since like 2008, 2009, 2008, October 2008. Two, that's 13 years he's been in there. One more than he lost. Tons of fights of the night, submission of the night, submission of the night, fight of the night, fight of the night, submission of the night, fight of the night. Fight of the night, submission of the night, fight of the night. All these records, all these great performance, performance of the night. All these fights he's performed, all, all these fights he's taken short notice, all these opponents he's faced, Clay Guida, Charles Oliveira, Dan Hooker, Trinaldo, Anthony Pettis, Dustin Poirier, Tiago Alves, Joe Lazan, Gomi, Sanchez, Chiesa, Castillo, Darius, Cerrone, Maderos, Pat Healy, Joe Lazan, Nate Diaz, Melvin Gillard, Benson Henderson. Look at Gleason T-Bat. Look at all the guys he's faced. Dwayne Ludwig. I was watching a trivia show the other day, and the question was, it was who other than Donald Cerrone has had, I want to say it was like 16 wins in the UFC. There's like four people. And the person answering the question didn't know who the last person was, and I'm screaming Jim Miller at the top of my lungs, because he's been there forever. He's been there so long that people just forget about him. Yeah, people forget him. People forget about him because he he's never been a big name. He doesn't get all the big storylines. He doesn't get all the he doesn't get all the uh, big opportunities that Jim that Cerrone and other guys who've gone on ten and fifteen fight win streaks get. Given as many wins as he's had, he's he's never been in a title fight. But the point of the matter is he's fought everybody. He's get, put on great performances. He's never shortchanged the fans. And so when his fan can't, when his opponent can't make it, what happens to that dude? He doesn't get his money. And there's been other guys who've gotten their full pay, and he hasn't. Yeah, I mean, that's the UFC way, and fans continue to support it. Um, the last topic I wanted to hit on, two boxing conversation pieces here. Your boy. Oscar De La Hoya is back, Swan. What do you think, man? Is he going on one last run? I think it's just a money grab. Fans want to see him fight. I can't imagine he's fighting a real boxer. Um, probably, just a, probably just a fight for him to keep active and kind of give the fans kind of reward because people like seeing the old guys fight. They don't want to see him fight a, a top-notch boxer anyways. He's not top-notch anyways anymore. It's like the Floyd Mayweather thing. You maximize your celebrity you make some money for your promotional company. If you're smart, you put some of your guys on the undercard, give them a chance to get exposed to big crowds and put on good performances that are going to help their career moving forward. So um, it's probably just a cash grab. It's something to give his organization a shot in the arm and to give some of his younger guys a chance to be on cards that matter and cards that will be viewed by a lot of people because a lot of people will pay to see Oscar De La Hoya fight anybody, just like a lot of people will pay to see Floyd Mayweather fight guys that, that um, we know that aren't going to beat him. And now I don't think it'll be as big as like a fight as if he was because I don't think McGregor's there. I don't. I mean, I guess if he fought maybe a Jorge Masvidal, maybe somebody like that, somebody who kind of draws some interest, you could you could kind of generate something because Oscar's not as charismatic as a Floyd in the sense he he draws people's ire or people just tune in because he's so polarizing. It's just more of a kind of who he is, his bat, his his uh, ethnic group, and kind of his good looks and. Kind of his story that draws people in, so I don't I don't know that they they don't they probably need somebody with a strong personality to help sell that. But um, I mean, hey, if Jake Paul and Logan Paul can make money 
doing that, then I would consider one of the greatest boxers of all time could pull in a few pay-per-view buys to get versus him if he fights a uh, competent, um, you you know, MMA guy with, with, with some notoriety behind him. True, true, true. And um, the only other thing I wanted to talk about from a boxing standpoint, Jake Paul and Ben Askren, are you going to watch? Do you even care? Um, I think it's kind of interesting. I'm not the biggest uh, Ben Askren fan. I don't dislike him. But my thing is, it's so weird that people are just thinking he's going to get totally smoked. I mean, I, I see how he, how he could, but who is, when we look about, uh, when, when we see who Paul's fought, who is he really, he hasn't even fought a professional fighter yet. He fought an ex-basketball player, and he fought a couple of YouTubers. And while he's looked good in sparring, the fact of the matter is everybody keeps saying, oh, he's knocking out all these guys in sparring, right? He's knocking out all these trained boxers in sparring. Well, he's been doing that for years. How come he's never never been able to replicate that in the ring? I mean, he didn't he didn't just blow through Nate Robinson for one. He didn't just blow through the YouTuber he fought. The fact of the matter is, he's a big hitter. He's probably a good athlete. But from based on what I've seen from that dude, when he swings, he swings big, and when he misses, he gets into clinches. If he gets into a clinch against Ben Askren, Ben Askren doesn't have to take him down. He can just tie him up. He can just clinch him up. I and mean, we're talking about an Olympic-level wrestler. He can smother his punches, put him in a corner, and just beat the hell out of him. Because I don't, I don't know that, that Paul's great in the clinches. He's good. He's decent at range, long range. He's good, good at mid-range. But if Ben Askren gets his hands on him, that fight's going to get ugly really, really quick. And I know that Ben Askren's not a great striker. He's never really shown it. But the fact of the matter is only one of them has faced guys who are top-end athletes and real fighters, and it's not Paul. Now, could Paul just jump on him and knock him out? Sure he could, but um, that would be an upset for a reason. Paul's not a real fighter, and it'd be really embarrassing for Askren to get beat up by a guy who's not a real fighter, but the fact of the matter is he's never faced a guy. He's never faced a legitimate real fighter in a big event-type show. He never has. Win or lose, whether he struck or not, Ben Askren has. It's MMA. It's different, but only one of them has fought another fighter. Only one of them has faced a guy who, if he punched him, could put his lights out. That's Ben Askren. Paul's never fought anybody on a big show who could really actually hurt him or do him any harm. I'm not saying he can't box. I'm not saying he wouldn't beat up most regular people, but let's look at the level of opposition. So let me ask you this. How many people tune in to watch this fight? Uh, I mean, it should. I don't know that it'll do a million buys, but it should do at least, it should do a couple hundred thousand. I mean, Paul's a pretty big guy. He sells a lot. He's got a huge fan base. Between three hundred and half a million, maybe I would think three hundred thousand to half a million is, is is feasible. I mean, he just has a lot of people. He, he's got a lot of casuals. He talks a lot of trash. That went over Nate Robinson, even though it wasn't a legitimate fight. Um, as far as the opposition, it still got a lot of run. He, I mean, he was on ESPN and a bunch of other shows as a result of that. So he he's kind of cultivated a, a cult following, and I think that that'll spill over into this show. But um, Ben Askren isn't exactly a name kind of guy. I'd say three from three hundred thousand to like five hundred thousand is is a good good bet for me, and which is still better than ninety percent of the boxing pay per view that's been out in the past two years. That's I'll sell on both of them, and that's I'll sell on a large majority of UFC cards too, if we're being honest. It definitely will, Shawn. It definitely will. Um, what are you working on, man? Let everybody know what you got on on that. Um, I uh, released two articles. One was um. DC Trinity, Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, breaking down the fighting styles and strategies of 
DC's Trinity also released a one uh, breakdown of characters connected with the Falcon and Winter Soldier, focusing on the uh, GSP Captain America fight in a fight with uh, Emily Van Camps. Uh, she plays Agent Carter, Agent Thirteen, in um in the Marvel Universe, and her and the Black Widow fighting the Winter Soldier. So basically, that's the, the live action breakdown they do, where I kind of explain the theory, the thought press, and the concepts, and and the attacks they're using, why they're using them, and how how they worked as far as leads, counters, and defenses for uh, five different characters. And then, of course, I did the article a couple weeks before that about breaking down things that camps need to do or the best camps do that help fighters win. And outside of that, I, I made a couple of um, podcast appearances. I was on Chronic Combat Conversations for a preview for UFC, the most recent UFC pay-per-view, uh, and gone over to Stipe. And then I appeared on the Protect Your Neck Knot podcast um, speaking with Dan, Dan Tom, and this time we did a top five things that a camp needs to have or to do to have a fighter be successful, kind of a podcast built around that article that I wrote and published on uh, MMA ratings. True, true. Sure. Sir, I'm working on as much professional wrestling content as usual. Um, also trying to get back into some MMA writing as well, slowly but surely. I've been doing some work over on Fansided, and I have some content waiting to be published over for MMA rating. So, yeah, we're just doing the damn thing here as much as we possibly can. But we'll be back for episode 200 next week. Swan and I will be on camera going forward. So please be sure to check out the episode. We'll have a special message for everyone that has supported us so far. And we'll be back next week. Swan, thank you again for your time tonight, my friend. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you giving me a chance to be a part of your show. Um, you're a great co-host. I mentioned you on every podcast I've on. I always mention people to come to MMA Ratings Podcast. My wonderful co-host, uh, Rafael Garcia, who keeps me under control from getting us sued or attacked in public by random mm -hmm. MMA fighters in their camps. So uh, I appreciate it all, man. You're a good friend and you're a good co-host, and I just appreciate you greatly. Yes, sir. We'll be back next week, man. Everyone have a good night. Good night, everybody.